The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Epictetus' Discourses, Book 3, Chapter 9, Section 22. When children stick their hand down a narrow goody jar, they can't get their full fist out and start crying. Drop a few treats and you will get it out. Curb your desire. Don't set your heart on so many things and you will get what you need. So the pshat, the simple meaning of this is pretty straightforward, which is in the mushal, in the uh, analogy, you can get your hand into a goody jar, into the narrow opening of a goody jar if you make your hand narrow. But then once it's filled with treats and it's bulging, you can't get it out unless you you make a little compromise and drop a few of the treats. If you try to get all the treats that you want, then you're not going to be able to get any. But if you drop a few, then you'll be able to get a few. And so too in all matters of desire, that if you try to get too much, you'll often end up with nothing. Whereas if you you moderate your desire a little bit, then you'll be able to get something. So I don't know if, I mean, I know I put this in the in the title, but I don't know if you would have associated it to the same thing that I did uh, if you saw this on your own, but I immediately associated it to the Talmudic idiom of tafasta merubalo tafasta, uh, the complete version of which is tafasta muat tafasta. Okay, so so what does this mean? So that is, this is found in in many places throughout halakhic writing, and I, I'm quoting from Chagiga Daf Yudzayin Amar Aleph, tractate Chagiga 17a. So literally, what it means is tafasta merubalo tafasta. If you've grabbed a lot, then you've grabbed nothing. Tafasta muat tafasta, but if you've grabbed a little bit, you've grabbed something. And I'm just going to actually read from Wikipedia because Wikipedia does a good job of summarizing the way that this Talmudic idiom is used in the Talmud and then the way it's used in popular, uh, in uh, I guess, popular speech. So the Wikipedia entry says, Tafasta merubalo tafasta, literally, if you have seized a lot, you have not seized, is a Talmudic idiom used to express the idea that when it is possible to take a particular law from two different sources, it should be taken from the narrower of the two in order to stay on the safe side and avoid making assumptions about which is correct. It is akin to the logical concept of proving too much. The phrase is used somewhat differently in modern Hebrew to the effect of, if you try to do too much of something, you might fail to do it altogether. For example, you shouldn't take that many courses, you'll end up failing them all. Tafasta merubah lo tafasta. So I was a little surprised, actually, to to discover that the phrase tafasta merubah lo tafasta in Talmudic literature is not used at all in the way that it was used in popular speech. Um, it was maybe a naive assumption of mine that it was used that way, but in Talmudic literature, it's only used in the uh, in the manner of uh, of logics and proofs. So uh, I wondered whether there is a corresponding principle that is stated in Talmudic literature, maybe in a different language, that expresses the same idea. And I found one, but hold on to it for just a second. I want to elaborate on the Epictetus quotation by quoting from Mark Nepo's The Book of Awakening, which is a daily reader by the poet slash mindfulness <laughs> coach, uh, Mark Nepo. Uh, this is from the March 7th entry entitled Let Go of the Rice. And you'll see he uses the same uh, the same muscle. So much more can happen with our hands open. In fact, closing and stubbornly maintaining our grip is often what keeps us stuck, though we want to blame everything and everyone else, especially what we're holding on to. There's an ancient story from China that makes all this very clear. It stems from the way traps were set for monkeys. A coconut was hollowed out through an opening that was cut to the size of a monkey's open hand. Rice was then placed in the carved out fruit 
which was left in the path of the monkeys. Sooner or later, a hungry monkey would smell the rice and reach its hand in. But once fisting the rice, its hand could no longer fit back out through the opening. The monkeys that were caught were those who would not let go of the rice. As long as the monkey maintained its grip on the rice, it was a prisoner of its own making. The trap worked because the monkey's hunger was the master of its reach. The lesson for us is profound. We need to ask ourselves, what is our rice and what is keeping us from opening our grip and letting it go? It was upon hearing this story that I finally understood that this is still Mark Nepo talking. It was upon under, uh, hearing this story that I finally understood the, t- the tense ritual of rejection that exists between. Uh, oh, hold on. I scanned this wrong. I think it's between my mother and me. Uh, like any child, I've always wanted her love and approval. But suddenly I realized that this had been my rice. The more it has not come, the tighter my grip. My hunger for her love had been ma- the master of my reach, even in other relationships. I had been caught. I had been a caught monkey, unwilling to let go. So there were several things I liked about this the, because this this does extend the the lesson from Tafasta Maruba and from Epictetus beyond the way that we uh, think about it on a superficial level. So the the phrases I like here are number one that the monkeys. The monkey gets trapped because the monkey's hunger was the master of its reach. In other words, the hunger is dictating what you're grabbing onto. I thought that was a really good way to put it. But then what I really like is asking ourselves the question, what is our rice? And what is keeping us from opening our grip and letting it go? So asking that question is 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 key that you you might find yourself stuck in terms of pursuing a goal or a desire, but if you don't ask that question, then you won't even you won't even realize that the principle of tafasta maruba lo tafasta is at play. So just asking yourself, what is my rice? Which I think is also a funny play on words because it's like, what is my vice, right? But uh, what is my rice? And then recognizing that perhaps my reach is being dictated by my hunger, and that the way to to get what I want in some measure is to moderate the uh, the hunger and 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 reach uh, and 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 withdraw my reach or, or or minimize my reach. Okay, so the question. Let's go back to now the uh, to the to the Gemara. So the question is: Does this principle, even if Tafasta and Rubla Tafasta is only applied to logic, does the same ethical lesson apply? Uh, can we find an application of the same ethical lesson? So what I uh, was, uh, I, I asked this on one of my Facebook groups and someone pointed me to the famous Gemara in Gittin, Daf, Nun, Vav, Amadez, which I had not thought of. Uh, and I'm going to read it now. And just because I don't have time this morning, I'm just going to read from the Steinsaltz translation that's on Al HaTorah, which expands it beyond the literal reading of the uh, words. So I'm going to read it in the Hebrew, uh, in, in, the, in the Gemara itself, but I'll I'll read the translation. Amr Oh, so this is a, a, a in the end of the Second Temple period, uh, and Jerusalem was being besieged, and Vespasian was the emperor of Rome, and he and Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the uh, was the leader. In fact, I'm actually just going to read this in English. Vespasian then said to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, "I will be going to Rome." Oh, sorry. When I said Vespasian was the Okay, actually, I don't recall who Vespasian was at this point. Okay, so I'm just going to read it. We'll get the main point anyway. Vespasian then said to Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai, I will be going to Rome to accept my new position, and I will find someone else in my place to continue besieging the city and waging war against it. Oh, right. Was he a general, Vespasian? Okay, I don't know. I clearly didn't do my homework here. He says, but before I leave, ask something of me that I can give you. Right? So he's basically saying... Uh, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you uh, a wish, right? And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who is the leader of the Jews 
at the time when the Yushalayim was being attacked and the temple was being destroyed, had this opportunity to ask him for anything. So he says, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said to him, give me Yavne and its sages and do not destroy it and spare the dynasty of Rabbi Gamliel and do not kill them if they, as if they are rebels. And lastly, give me doctors to heal Rabbi Tzadok. Okay, so those were three requests. And uh, I had, I just to brush up a little bit on the history, I reviewed the chapter in Rabbi Binyamin Lau's book, The Sages, Character, Context, and Creativity, Volume 1, The Second Temple Period, where he has a chapter on this. And, uh, and Rabbi Lau explains, he says, Rabbi Yochanan's requests were primarily directed at the preservation of the spiritual life and the termination of the Jerusalem era. He sought a new spiritual center in the form of Yavna and its sages, symbols of sovereignty in the form of the patriarchal family from the line of Rabbi Gamliel, and in a personal request, the recuperation of Rabbi Tzadok, who was still languishing inside the besieged city. This was Rabbi Yochanan's way of securing a national palliative for the scourge of the destruction and creating a structure for continued Jewish existence in the absence of the temple. Okay, so right after that, the Gemara records a criticism of Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai. It says, Rabbi Yosef read the following verse about him, and some say it was Rabbi Akiva who applied the verse to Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai, quote, I am the Lord who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolish, end quote, as he should have said to him to leave the Jews alone at this time. So in other words, uh, whether this was Rabbi Yosef or Rabbi Akiva, they, they criticized Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai for just asking for Yavna and its sages. They said that, that he should have asked Vespasian to spare Yerushalayim altogether, and that would have saved many lives and would have saved Yerushalayim. So the Gemara then says, and this part I am going to read in Hebrew, uh, so the Gemara wonders, what, why didn't Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai make this request? So the Gemara says, V'hu savar dilma kule hai lo avid, v'hatsala purta nami lo havi. So uh, the translation here says, he maintained that Vespasian might not do that much for him, and there would not be even a small amount of salvation. And then Steinzeltz elaborates, therefore, he made only a modest request in the hope that he would receive at least that much. So in other words, uh, this was an example of Tafasta Murlo lo Tafasta, Tafasta Mua Tafasta. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was worried that if he asked for Yerushalayim to be spared, then Vespasian would not give him anything. So instead, he moderated his request and asked for less, and just Yavna and its sages, and then Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Tadok, and then Vespasian granted him that. So you can see that this was a controversial decision, and we only know how it played out, that it ended up being, well, we don't know what would have happened otherwise, but we know that it ended up being a good decision, and one that completely changed Yerushalayim, or changed uh, Judaism for for <laughs> forever by making, uh, it, by, by facilitating the transition from a, a temple-centered religion to one which is operating through the, the legislative body of the Sanhedrin. So, so you see that that not only in the realm of ethics, but in the realm of politics, then by curbing his own desire, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was able to achieve something rather than stri striving, than letting his hunger, his 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 well-meaning hunger dictate his reach and uh, and and possibly risk losing everything. Now I continued reading that chapter to see if there are any other statements of the Gemara from in Chazal from Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which illustrate how this mentality plays itself out in other ways. And I found one. So this is an Avos Rabbi Nasan, where it recounts the following. It says, once, and I'm just going to read from Binyamin Lau's translation, once Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was leaving Jerusalem with Rabbi Yehoshua following him, and he saw the temple in ruins. Rabbi Yehoshua cried out, 
Woe to us, for it lies in ruins, the place where atonement was made for Israel's sins. Rabbi Yochanan responded, My son, do not grieve, for we have another form of atonement that is similar. And what is it? Acts of loving kindness. Gimilus chasadim. As, as it is written in Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire loving kindness and not sacrifice. So what I found interesting about this is that Rabbi Yoshua clearly knew this Pasuk in Hosea, which says that God desires chesed and not sacrifice, meaning that, well, I'm not going to go into what that means right now, but but basically the uh, the, the basic idea is that, that the sacrifices are just a means to an end, to achieving certain human perfections, and God desires the end more than the means. He desires the actual chesed, mishpat, and tzedakah, kindness, justice, and righteousness more so than the than the sacrifices that are a means to facilitating those perfections. So Rabbi Yeshua knew this, yet he still grieved when he saw Yerushalayim destroyed. And Rabbi Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai saw that that there was still, he saw this truth that that even though we lost the base of Mikdash and that was a big loss, there still is this means of atonement. So what I see from this story here, and I, I obviously I can't say that this is related to the same character trait, but I do see a parallel, which is that if your eyes, if your hunger is dictating your reach and you have your eyes set on the big prize, then then you will often fail to achieve that prize. But not only will you fail to achieve that prize, you will fail to see even smaller goods that are within reach. So in this case, because Rabbi Yoshua was focused on the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, he didn't even see that there was an opportunity to use chesed and to build a, uh, a new value system around chesed independent of the temple, whereas Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai did see that because he didn't let his hunger dictate his reach. So uh, I think that even though the Gemara does not invoke tafasta merubalo tafasta in applying uh, in application to matters of ethics and politics, we see from Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai that the principle does apply. Okay, that is it for today's episode. If you have gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you'd like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah content fund, my Venmo is at Matt-Schneeweiss, M-I-Z-L and PayPal are MattSchneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with a financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at RabbiSchneeweiss at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.